0: to go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel 23, and I'm going to read there the first five verses of that chapter, 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 5. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the God of Israel spoke to me, he who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. We don't see a lot of that today, do we? I don't think the human race has ever seen a lot of that, but that's God's order. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? Let's look to the Lord again in prayer. Father, thank you for the privilege that we have of gathering together. For the fellowship that we have together in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the love that we share one with another. And especially the love that we share for you and from you. Father, I ask your blessing on your word tonight that Christ would truly be glorified and that our hearts would be edified. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. These are the last words of David. Last words have always been uh, something sort of interesting to me and from time to time I... You know, we've got Google now, or whatever you happen to use, but mostly Google, and you can just, I'm bored. Let's find some last words, and there are some really weird things out there. But I'm going to give you a few last words by some Christian folks. Uh, Some of you will recognize all of the names. Most of you will recognize at least one or two of the names, but be that as it may. Godly men... Men we could perhaps find occasion to disagree with doctrinally, but they loved the Lord. John Wesley, his final words were, the best of all, God is with us. And then his brother Charles, who wrote a lot of songs, and I think maybe went a little deeper than John did. I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied. William Wilberforce, a few of you will know that thing. My affections are so much in heaven that I can leave you all without a regret. Yet, I do not love you less, but God more. And then J. Hudson Taylor, in his final illness, he said, I am so weak, I can't read my Bible. I can't even pray. I can only lie still in God's arms like a little child, and trust. Isn't that sweet? Now, I could go on. I mean, you can dig around and find a lot of sweet things. And you can, you know, if you're just looking at the world, you can find some, as I said, some really weird things. But even when you look at these uh, things said by godly people, expressing their trust and confidence in God in their final hours here, um, I can't find anything that has a greater import and a greater impact than what I see in these inspired words. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is scripture. These inspired words, these inspired last words of King David. However noteworthy the good words of people may be. The word of God outweighs them all. Uh, When I look at David and the life of David, I I frankly cannot express quite how highly I think of this man, David. Uh, I have always based my view of David, of his life, of most of the things he did, not merely on my personal opinion. It's not just he was a great hero and did wonderful things and this and that and the other thing, but... Uh, rather on what God has said about him. Because, again, whatever men may say, whatever opinions we may hold, the word of God is what counts. Uh, After King Saul had disobeyed God, and there was more going on in his heart than just what we see in the actions. There always is more going on in the heart, whether the heart is turned toward God Or whether the heart is careless, Um, there's, there's a lot goes on in the heart that is not necessarily seen outwardly. And so when King Saul disobeyed the word of God, God saw the condition of his heart and he rejected him from the throne. Now he went ahead and lived quite a few years longer. He continued to be on that throne, but God cut off that line right there and then as far as rulership. But in speaking uh, speaking to him uh, at that time, Samuel said this to Saul in 1 Samuel 13 and verse uh, 14, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then you follow that up with Acts 13 and verse 22, where a little more information is given along that line. Uh, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And this is added. Now, sometimes you see this in the New Testament, a word or two added, a phrase added that you don't necessarily see in the Old Testament. But remember, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Isn't that a tremendous statement for someone? And it's not just, I mean, I have sat in on funerals, and especially the funerals of preachers, you know, and people say good things about them and what they did sometimes. But for God to say, I've found a man, and God... God knew the end from the beginning. I have found a man that will do all my will. God doesn't make mistakes. There are no disappointing surprises with God. Uh, the view he expressed of David's heart and the course that David's life spiritually would take stood true. In First Kings 15 and verse 5 says, um, well, I seem to have lost my place here. Let me see. Where am I there? Back up. Had that, had that. I, I, I don't know. I seem to be lost. Can you find me here? I should be on First uh, Kings fifteen five. There it is. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him, All the days of his life. Now, I could pause there and you see what, again, what an enormous testimony is given of this man's life. Now, there is a glaring exception that follows that statement. He turned not aside from anything that I commanded him all of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, yes, that was truly a grievous sin. It was a sin for which there was no excuse. But while there is never a sin for which there's an excuse, there's also never a sin for which there is not forgiveness and cleansing. And something we see in David, again, I've lived a long time now, and I've seen a lot, and I've seen a lot of people that seem to start well and had a good outward testimony, and then they crash and burn. I don't know if you realize How rare it is for a man to fail as badly, as willfully, going into it knowing exactly what he was doing, knowing the damage he was doing, how displeasing it was to God, the harm that it would cause. I don't know how, if you realize how rare it is for such a person really, genuinely to repent. But David repented. And when he was rebuked, and he looked at the situation, he said, I've sinned. And, well, something i pointed out often, this isn't in my notes, but something i pointed out often, the, uh, the law of Moses at that time, if you committed murder, you were going to die in all probability. And if you took another man's wife, you were going to die. That was, that was what was required under the law. And David didn't bargain. He didn't try to minimize his sin. He didn't try to get a, get a deal with the prosecutor. When David said, I have sinned, he knew that there was a death sentence hanging over his head. Uh, people don't like the consequences of acknowledging their sin. But David realized, I don't what I don't like. What I like even less is being out of fellowship with God. And it was as if he were saying, "I would rather die, having repented, and being again in fellowship with God, than to live in this condition that I'm in now." And so he repented, uh, and and just. You know, the character of his life apart from that. He didn't turn aside from anything that God instructed him to do except in that thing. Now, he was human. He did take some missteps. But it wasn't that open rebellion. I've heard people teach the life of David, and probably some of you have too, in which they take David and they make him a bad example pretty much throughout, over and over, seeking out his faults and making those much More of an issue than what God had done in his heart. Much more of an issue than what God had to say about David. Much more of an issue than the grace and the work of God that was done in and through him. Jim Burge might recognize where this came from. But I heard one fellow say when David went to Ziklag that God had to burn him out before he would go back to be with his people. And that's, well, I'll just leave that there. It's not true. God saw something faithful in David. And then to look at the testimony that David gave at his end here. uh, In 2 Samuel 23, 1 and 2. Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, He doesn't say the man who raised himself up on high. He wasn't like Nebuchadnezzar. This is great Babylon that I've built for the glory of my name. He knew how he got raised up on high. Thus says the son of David. Thus says the man. uh, David the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high. The anointed of the God of Jacob. The sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spake by me. And his word was on my tongue. Um, If you read that and stop to think about it, there is not a word there about the great things that he did, humanly speaking, in the course of his life. He doesn't, there on his deathbed with his final words, he doesn't say, oh, I remember when I went after Goliath. and doesn't talk about the victories over the Philistines. He doesn't talk about all the hardships and the persecution that he faced, the difficulties, the unfairness. He doesn't talk about all of those things that had to do with David. He said, I'm the man that God raised up on high. Now, he didn't put it in those words, but he knew. (laughs) And the Lord spoke by me. Oh, I wrote all these songs, but no, not really. The Lord spoke by me. His word was on my tongue everything he said there was about what god had done god had spoken through him by him raised him up you know down through the years i was thinking then i just sort of multiplied so many times a week by so many years and then i didn't even count the bible i used to teach at brother eager's bible school and different special meetings i've held elsewhere and i have preached thousands of sermons down through the years i mean literally thousands of sermons. But I don't believe that that compares either with the character or the quality of David's words. because when David spoke, it wasn't just something studied out and prepared. When he wrote these things, it wasn't David's words mixed with truth. it was God's word. and it was inspired word, it was scripture. So again, I can't fully express quite how highly that I think of this godly man David uh, and the testimony that he had, the testimony that he gave. And because God knew David's heart, you know, when when God revealed certain things to Abraham or Abram, he said, I know him. And he'll command his children after him. I mean, he knew the godliness of the man he knew the practicality of the man he knew the direction that even his family was going to take because of that testimony and obedience and so he revealed certain things to abram god knew the heart of david he knew the entirety of the path that david would take during his earthly journey of course he foreknew that failure but he also foreknew that repentance and so God made some promises, some appropriate promises to David. Again, looking at his last words in 2 Samuel 23, 5. He has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and my desire. I will say that the fact that the covenant promise God made with David was an eternal covenant, an everlasting covenant, is vitally important. Whenever you see something that God makes clear is eternal, everlasting, especially if it's a promise or a gift. We're not going to teach Sunday morning Sunday school again, but it's, it's a vitally important thing. And we've been considering some eternal things on Sunday mornings, haven't we? eternal life, eternal salvation, eternal redemption, everlasting righteousness, but God gave to David an everlasting covenant. And it was a covenant of promise, more about the everlasting part of it shortly, but at the end of life here David wanted nothing other than the covenant promise. This is this is all my salvation, all my desire. Oh, if I could just live a little longer. You know, I always wanted to see the northern lights, and I never got to see the northern lights. If I could this, if I could that. David came to the end of life. He'd had some wonderful blessings. He'd had some terrible times in his life. Sometimes you read some of the last words so many times, if it's a, a man with a good husband, because those are the, those are the quotes I saw it has to do with you've been a good wife or i love you or something along that line to the wife david said i'm i've come to the end and this covenant that god made with me this relationship that he established and the words that he gave to me this is this is everything it's all my salvation it's every deliverance that i need and all my desire whom have I on earth but thee, or in heaven beside thee? Uh, so he had he had seen some things. David had found contentment in that covenant. He'd also seen his salvation in it. Uh, he he saw that the important thing was the working of God's will and the purpose that God had. But again, he saw his salvation in that covenant. How so? Well, let's look at a major, major promise that God gave to David in 1 Chronicles 17, uh, something that is unquestionably a part of the Davidic covenant. First Chronicles 17:10 uh, through 14, middle of verse 10. Furthermore, I tell you, this was after David had purposed to build a house or a temple for God. And the prophet Nathan said, well, do all according to your your heart, whatever your heart's desire is. And uh, then the Lord spoke to Nathan in the night. He had to come back and change his tune. David, you are you don't get to build that house. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. And, you know, that's what God really wants. I mean, this is something that I've heard emphasized over and over again from the pulpit by different people. It's. It's what God wants is to do for us. Does God need you? I mean, as far as his work, who was it that led that horrible man, Saul of Tarsus, to the Lord? Well, nobody, because the Lord went and sought out Saul. He didn't need somebody to do that. When Adam and Eve were in a lost condition because they disobeyed, who preached the sermon that gave them the faith so they could continue? Well, the Lord himself spoke to them. I spoke of the sermons that I preached. Do you think God couldn't do that a different way? The thing is, every preacher needs to remember this, that he chose the foolishness of preaching. (laughs) That's the tool. He chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. So God wants to do for us. David, I know you want to build me a house, but I don't need it. So I'm going to tell you, David, I'm going to build you a house. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. And he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, there are conditional promises. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. There's a condition there. It's not a big condition. It's not a big work you have to do. Uh, sort of like when Naaman was insulted. Go wash in the River Jordan. <laughs> We've got better rivers at home. You know, it's, there's a condition, though. If You'll be cleansed. You'll obey God and go wash it. Well, he did and he was cleansed. But then there are promises that God makes where it's just, this is what I'm going to do. I will build up your, build you a house. I will set up your seed after you. I will establish his kingdom. I will be his father. He shall be my, I will not. And it goes on. I'll establish him in my house. There are no conditions set forth. In that covenant promise that God da- made with David. That's not a promise he made with, you know, I've, I have said there's a chorus. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. I can benefit from this. But it's not mine, it's David's. God made this promise to David and it was without condition. Now there are things that you have to work through to understand here. Uh there was sort of a near fulfillment as it was because, as it, as, as it were, because Solomon built a house. Um, and so there was a shadow of a fulfillment of the thing. But the throne of Solomon, the son of David, who built a house for the Lord, was absolutely not established forever. Solomon disobeyed God in his youth. God had said first of all the kings were not to multiply to themselves wives or horses but we won't go there uh, don't don't build up don't you pile up a bunch of wives Solomon had a thousand wives and concubines. he told the Jews not to intermarry with the ungodly around them because they you know basically they're going to corrupt you they're going to turn your hearts to idolatry so don't do it and Solomon disobeyed God in his youth and married too many women, too many heathen women. Some of them unquestionably were part of a sort of a treaty between this nation and that nation. Did that in his youth, never repented. And so when he got old, they turned his heart to idolatry. Was his kingdom established? In judgment, God stripped away. Ten tribes from under the rulership of Solomon's descendants. The kingdom was eventually overthrown. And the people were removed from the land of promise. Uh, was that kingdom forever? Hasn't been restored yet. You know, if we choose to doubt, uh, if we were to choose unbelief, we could call this one of the supposed you know, the Bible is filled with contradictions, right? Well, if you wanted to believe that, you could believe this is a contradiction. It's not. Those who choose unbelief really... I had a conversation with a neighbor, and a decent guy, and I like him. But he began to bring up objections, and I thought, you know, you you haven't taken time to really look at the Bible. You've just jumped to some conclusions, and that's where you're going to make your stand. Um... Choose unbelief. You don't take time to consider the real import of God's Word. And people who think they see contradictions don't take into account the infinite wisdom uh, that God has that surpasses any human wisdom or any human expectations. His ways are not our ways, His ways are as far above ours as the heavens are above the earth. And of course, we're going to read things that God says or does or purposes that don't necessarily make sense to us because we can't wrap our minds around them. Our minds are too small. But God fulfilled his promises to David. Doesn't look like it, but he did. Another quick look at David's last words, uh, uh, 2 Samuel 23, verses 3 through 5. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Now, this is what God expects. Um, Christians think that that's what rulers, some Christians think that's what all rulers should be. And if not, we need to get them out of office. Good luck with that, because where are you going to find these people? But this is God's purpose. It was fulfilled and will be fulfilled in one ruler. And we all know who that ruler is. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Now, I'll just pause there. If, if it were me, I might not understand. Have you ever had the Lord speak to you and what he said was absolutely true, but you misunderstood? I have. And David could have misunderstood after the Lord told him that and thought, oh, Man, my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids and my great-great-grandkids. These are the rulers that are going to fulfill this. David was a wise man. He knew the ways of God and he knew the ways of men. And so he said in verse 5, although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant. This covenant is not going to be broken. Nothing is going to knock God's promise and God's purpose out of its fulfillment. It simply cannot. It simply will not happen. Just won't happen. Although my house is not so with God, yet He's made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, and here's where it is Will He not make it increase? God made an I will promise. When God makes an I will promise, not if you will, then I will. It's only dependent on God. It's not dependent on you measuring up or me measuring up. And by the same token, if we don't measure up, if he said, I'm going to do it, he is still going to do it. We may not understand all of the details, but David got it. Again, I can't tell you quite how much I appreciate this man. He saw so much that very few in that age saw. Um. David declared God's righteous standard, but he knew the path that men would take. I read through the history. Of, I, I worked this sermon for a couple of weeks, and uh, I, I told Marlene, I think I barked up the wrong tree quite a bit. But actually, it wasn't the wrong tree. I just, you know, there was a squirrel next door, and I just was sort of enjoying where I was, I enjoyed the study, but I went through and I looked at the entire lineage of David, all of those rulers. And overall, it's a tragic history of rebellion, of disobedience, too much idolatry, a history of unrighteous rule. And David knew. He didn't know the details, I don't suppose, but he said, although my house is not so with God And he didn't stop there. Well, my house isn't going to fulfill this, and so it can't happen. His trust was in God, not in himself, not in his own house. His confidence was in God's will, his I will promise, and not the actions of people. So how was God's promise fulfilled? Who has built God a house? I think you know. First of all, I will say, Many of you, most of you, maybe all of you know already that Solomon's line is not included in the genealogy of Christ. Read the book of Luke. Now, in Matthew, it gives the genealogy of his foster father, uh, Joseph, but Solomon wasn't in the line of Christ. He, he was completely shut out because of his rebellion, unquestionably. Um, so, yes... Um, Solomon built an earthly house. It was torn down, built up again, torn down again. A moss stands on it today. He had no power to build a true and lasting house for the Lord. Christ, of course, was the fulfillment of the promise we read in 1 Corinthians or 1 Chronicles 17. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed. And uh, when, he, when he spoke uh, in Genesis, Paul emphasized, not seeds as of many, seed as of one. Your seed, I'll set up your seed after you, um, who will be one of your sons, one of your descendants. I will establish his kingdom He shall build me a house. I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. And I will establish him in my house and my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. Now, do you see why David was able to say, looking at this covenant promise, this is all my salvation? This is all my salvation. Not in the works of the law, not in the good that I've done, not in my obedience, not even in my repentance from disobedience. But this I will promise that reaches down to the seed. David saw some things uh, that others just didn't see. He, he prophesied of Christ as being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. David uh, put on the ephod, a linen garment as a priest uh, would wear And he didn't do it in rebellion or presumption. I believe that he understood. We are kings and priests to God on some level. He saw things that others didn't see. And so, yes, child of God, the promises God gives are always fulfilled. Seldom in the way that we expect. Often not in the way we expect. I mean, when Jesus appeared on the scene, people expected that the kingdom was going to be restored right now. But it wasn't. It will be because his promises are always fulfilled. And yes, we see we see partial and incomplete fulfillments in the lives of his people. We see a partial fulfillment of his purposes and his promises in us. You know, the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the foretaste, the beginning of, Of our inheritance. It's not the completion. But oh my. If you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've allowed the Holy Spirit to work in you. You realize that God is showing you. In a fashion. The fulfillment of his promise. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. It doesn't yet appear what we shall be. There's more to see. But God is showing us everything we can see today. If we'll yield to him in it. So. We see that partial, incomplete fulfillment, sometimes in fully devoted lives, sometimes, very sadly, in careless lives, such as Solomon's. But it's not by gazing on the works of men, whether they're spiritual failures or spiritually prospering, that we discover the true value of God's word, the fulfillment of the word, the treasure that can be found as we walk in in agreement with, in accordance with his word, rather, is by gazing upon the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. By looking unto Jesus, the author, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down at the right hand of the throne of God, and in him, As we peruse, as we meditate, as we consider the promises of God, may we be able to say with David that this is all my salvation and all my desire. Amen.